Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a very special 100th episode of The Cup. Yes, we have made it Woo-hoo! to the big 1000. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what But yes, exactly. We have made it to 100. Who would have thought two years ago when we started this little venture that we would have ended up here? So we mm. are going to be doing a very special retrospective episode where Myself, Mackenzie, co-artistic producer, Ryan Barakovich, my other co-artistic producer, and our amazing associate producer, Jillian Robinson, will be giving a look back, commenting on our thoughts, on our experience with this adventure we've been on, and then what we can look forward to in the next hundred, or as Carly and Patrick said in our last episode, the next thousand. (laughs) A million, as they said. Hence all the extra O's that uh, Matt gave us there. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And um, so we're going to start off, as always, with our classic question. Jill, what is in your cup and what is your ensemble today? Okay, so I have a tiny bit of a 100-word sentence for how I am the way I am. Okay. Basically, Ryan and I are at my parents' place in Windsor. So I figured I might as well go into my mom's closet to, you know, pick something I haven't worn on the cup. So Ooh. I found this super comfy, like, mustard yellow cardigan. Very I just summer. threw it over like a red tank top. And then I was like, oh, I kind of look like Winnie the Pooh. And Winnie the Pooh lives in the 100 Acre Wood. And we're doing the 100th episode. Uh-huh. So boom. And then I found these little cute little orange earrings. with. They got like an orange heart because, you know, we're going to be sharing and spreading yes. and talking about lots of love that's been yes. spewed over the cup of the last year. And then I was like. I sat down to where I'm recording and we just celebrated my niece's birthday. So we have these really fun celebratory napkins, Woo! Like rainbow balloons. So I'm like, okay, I have red, orange, yellow. I happen to be wearing forest green athletic shorts right now, which you can't see. So I had to fill out the celebratory rainbow and I have a blue chalice with some purple grape Kool-Aid. So I'm celebrating, I am Winnie the Pooh bounding, and a rainbow happy sunshine. You went all out, never cease to impress. <laughs> and Ryan, for you, what is in your cup? And I see you're wearing your iconic flannel. Yeah, so. Your, it, your staple look. Well, yeah, it's like I only have so many shirts, so <laughs> regular viewers of the show have seen all of them more than once at this point. But, <laughs> you know, it's been 100 episodes. That's I don't have that many shirts. What? You don't have 100 different shirts? I in definitely closet? don't. <laughs> I haven't even been on all 100 of those episodes, and I oh, still okay. very quickly cycle through all my shirts. <laughs> but I made a point of, like Jill said, we're at her parents' place right now, and I made a point of packing this shirt because it is the one that I wore in our very first episode King Lear, episode one. So I thought Mm -hmm. it was a good way to round out the circle. I also wore it in that short little video we did when we announced the new mandate a year ago. So I I, I don't recall if that was deliberate on my part to like as a callback Mm -hmm. to episode one then. It may or may not have been, but now it definitely is. It's a a lucky shirt. Now this is your milestone shirt. This is my milestone milestone shirt. shirt. Just by total happenstance. And yes, as Jill said, we're at her parents' place, so you might recognize my background as Jill's background for the first run of the show when she was spending the early days of the pandemic here with her parents. So mm-hmm. that's where I set up so we could be in separate rooms to record. So there you go. That's, I guess, a throwback. Yeah. Uh, and because we're not at home and we don't have our usual roster of mugs, I'm using one of her dad's mugs that says best grandpa ever. And Aww. I have coffee in it. 
<laughs> well, yeah, today, you, yeah, let's, yeah. yeah, what's your ensemble, Mac? Well, I mean, I broke out my, I'm pretty sure I wore this tiny episode, at least one or two, but it is my The Plays the Thing topic. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's nice. It, it is my tie from Stratford. So it ta- mm-hmm. harkens back to King Lear at the very beginning. And I have broken out my The Cup Cup. Oh, Someone has to be representing. Neither one of us have ours. Somewhere. Yeah. Has to be somewhere, so I get to be the representative today. And I am drinking a, what am I drinking? A pink lemonade grapefruit drink with some Smirnoff. Um, Whoa, celebrate. Um, Good times. I know, I know. Wait, who's <laughs> Matt? Just a splash, just a splash. <laughs> just a cheers. Splash. Yeah, cheers, cheers, to, cheers to us. 100 episodes. Cheers to us, 100. Yes. And that's the episode, everybody. Thank you. Have a good day. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. No, 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 no. We got a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. So mm-hmm. last week for our 99th episode, we shared a compilation of short testimonial videos from members of the Cup of Hemlock community. How would you describe your reaction to those videos? Ryan, we saw your reactions yeah. in the video. So we'll let Jill start this one. <laughs> sure. She was kind of the one who didn't get to see the final product before we released it because I edited the video. Ryan right. continued the intro and outro. So Jill, you were kind of coming into it new uh, yes, or Wednesday when we released it because we're recording this mm-hmm. on Friday. Yeah, so visual viewers can already tell I'm beaming, um, grinning ear to ear. And that was the same reaction watching the video. Um, it warmed my heart to see kind of like the return of um, support and space and love tossed back our way. Yeah, having some of our members that have been on multiple panels or have been on int- a variety of different types of cup veins, mm-hmm. right? Like the interviews or a panelist or both. And to really take some quality time, whether it be a 30 second snippet or a three minute snippet. And yeah, either discuss their time that they've had at the cup, some things that, you know, we've done for them as cup members, some things that they have seen in the theatrical community on our episode or with our episode that that kind of inspired them or, you know, helped augment them as artists. And I just love everyone's testimony was so genuine and I think it it speaks to, yeah, the community that we've sort of curated over the last 100, 100 episodes. Yeah, and I just, I look forward to to continue working with the folks that have sent a testimony, with the folks that are part of the community, that want to be on more stuff, with folks that are coming up new to the CUP community. Yeah, it just makes me really happy and excited that... As artists in this industry, whether it be in Toronto or beyond, we're all supporting each other however we can. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Ryan, do you have anything you'd like to add on? <laughs> I don't know how much. Where you kind of summed up your feelings there. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I kind of said my piece there and Jill, I don't know how much more I can add to what you said. But like in addition to this, just being this lovely outpour of support from friends and colleagues, people we've maybe known for a long time, others we've met along the way. Something that struck me while watching it was that, like, we're not delusional about our viewership being incredibly modest. We know that we're like a small little outfit. We've been doing this for a long time, made many episodes, but not a lot of people are watching or listening. And that's okay. But seeing these videos, to me, was a very nice reminder that what we do is meaningful to the people who come onto the show and the community that we've built around it, even if it's not Mm. necessarily equating to hard numbers in viewership and listenership even if it hasn't found this massive audience like the real beating heart of it 
yet. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, that, maybe that'll come for the next hundred episodes. And, and like we've done like surprisingly well, honestly, considering how niche the content we do is. But I think what really makes this meaningful and worth doing, like at least from my perspective, and I imagine you two would probably agree, is yeah, the community that we've built around it, the people we get on, how much they seem to be enjoying it. And I think we see the evidence for that within the responses that we receive themselves. So like I wrote down a couple like choice sound bites, how we had Patrick and Carly talking about the impact that we have on the cultural landscape of Canadian theater. Isn't that just like yeah. a cool way to put it that they, you know, appreciate? Um Anthony Piccioni reflecting on the breadth of what we cover. Michael Roth, who really appreciated our glowing praise for his music in our reviews of The Tempest and Twelfth Night that he wrote to us. And then we extended that onto the platform itself, where he could come on as a guest and talk all about his illustrious career. Like, these are the people that we're doing it for. Like, it would be great if we also could then cultivate a much larger audience than we currently have. But even if we never do, I still think this is worth keeping Mm -hmm. at it for at least another hundred episodes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just think what really stood to me was just the amount of appreciation that came from our contributors and past guests, like like even people who weren't featured in the video because they just didn't have time to get one in because of their own busy lives. Just the responses we got from that of, hey, love your work, wasn't able to get a video in, but just know we I appreciated being part of this community and being part of this venture with all of you. Like, And I mean, mm-hmm. I think Alex's response was such a lovely encapsulation of that was that we started this adventure back in 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 the midst of a pandemic and so just the fact that he said being isolated but yet being able to find such a a wide community that was that is international i mean we've had a lot of people from uh, the u.s we have people from the uk we've had Mm -hmm. people from all walks of life in the theater community join us and have their chance to speak and connect and grow their own social network from being part of our wealthy cup that, that they all drinketh from, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that was the biggest takeaway was just, yes, Ryan, you're right. We don't have the biggest audience, but what we do have is a very appreciative ne- network of people who are always willing to come back and, and share their thoughts on new pieces that they may have not have heard about or give their insights into a topic they are really passionate about. And I think that is what makes us unique in, in this arts community is that we are not look just searching for the hot topic or a social justice conquest that we want to jump on the bandwagon for. We are looking to give voices to people and just have, and, and to really just give general audiences an insight of into what we as artists do when we're just sitting at the bar having a drink together, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jill and Ryan, you two met when we were doing our group play reading and we were talking all about the script analysis of doubt and fingernails the priest right like that's something that we get into in in like our reviews that that type of conversation and general audiences never get it get their insight into that so the fact that we give artists the chance to show that we are not that we're not just performers on a stage or the lighting designer or the the usher we are people who dive deep into work and have great a great appreciation for it really kind of gives a voice that's something that our testimonials really shows that people in the arts community really do appreciate just the chance to give their voice to something, you know? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, speaking of our origin story, let's get into the next question, which is not many people know, but Cup of Hemlock was founded a few months prior to the pandemic starting in March of 2020. And it was intended to be a live performance theater company producing live works of classical and new, a new, a new artist works as well 
but due to but due to the effects of the pandemic, we had to pivot. And so we started doing the cup as a, hey, this will only be a few months. Stratford's releasing some, you know, so some of their pro shop videos. Why don't we review those? You know, why not? Like, let's fill our time. We're all stuck at home. Let's do something fun. And that <laughs> little seed of a concept transitioned us into becoming a YouTube podcast company that first and foremost produces the performing arts talk shows that you all are now watching. So mm -hmm. what are your thoughts regarding this journey? Do you feel the new mandate that was announced roughly a year ago in August of 2021 has properly represented the company, the work that we do, and the current trajectory we are on? Ryan, I will let you mm -hmm. lead this off. Yeah, like, so it's interesting because, yeah, it, it is a, I guess, an unconventional journey. Usually when people start something that, like, is a podcast or reviews plays it you know starts that way and as you just summed up we had this tumultuous journey but the, like the more i think about it and this i think comes to our decision like three of us to keep doing this even after the founding members of the company slowly one by one left and we continued to decide you know what we like this show we're doing so let's put all of our eggs in that basket mm -hmm. like the more i think about that i think about how Everybody who goes to theater school starts a company eventually. That seems to just kind of be what, you know, there's not enough jobs in the market. And if you want to keep doing theater, you, it's only natural that eventually you're going to, to start something with your friends and see if you can get it off the ground, you know. But most of them fold after a year or two of just producing a couple passion projects that scarcely make back their budgets. I did this myself even well before Cup of Hemlock with Sad Ibsen Theater, but, which I've mentioned on a few episodes, but it's still I, I think out there. It, can always it, come it back. technically exists. I've never officially folded it because I don't need to. I just don't have to keep producing. There was never really like a large company infrastructure. It was sort of just the brand name label that I did whenever I was self-producing. And if I ever self-produce again, I can dust it off, but it's really, it's not a company. Cup of Hemlock came about intending to be a company filling all the roles with this, like, you know, rigid, you know, hierarchical infrastructure. But as we've kept doing this show, like, and it goes back to what we were just talking about with the testimonials, like, we have found a way to service the theater community more so than I think just self-producing works that we specifically might be passionate about, but then others may or may not care. Like, and, you know, we come from a very supportive community where I think people would still come out and see it to support us, but it would often just be that. Whereas by doing this show and, you know, starting as just, hey, we watch these shows, let's come see our thoughts, and then evolving into we're interviewing artists from the community, bringing them into the network, and then eventually, once things started reopening, attending live performances and actually being part of the press coverage of them as they come out, I really think we found this quite interesting niche that, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the specifics of how we approach our content, but yeah, not a lot of people are doing precisely the kinds of work we do. And, you know, God bless anyone who does want to start their own theater company and invite us, we'll come see your show. But I think the three of us all agree that we don't necessarily need to be doing that ourselves, at least not under the Cup of Hemlock banner, but we really found something we enjoyed doing. Now, to bring that back to the mandate, since I know that's part of this question too, I feel like the mandate that we wrote about a year ago, the three of us together, really kind of speaks to what that wing of the company was always doing all along. But instead of treating that as basically promotional fodder for the live performance that we promise we'll eventually do, we've just decided that, yes, this is where we 
want to be devoting our efforts and this is what this company can be doing. And uh, yeah, I feel like we've done a good job of committing to that, keep doing what we're doing and just being clear that we are explicitly prioritizing that in all of our efforts. Now, not that I think we should change or update the mandate one year later, but if I could make one small edit to it now, (laughs) I might want to do more to emphasize the importance of what we've been calling theater enthusiasts. Now, we include them in the mandate sort of as a third category of guests who might come on who might not necessarily personally identify as artists or scholars. We have artists, scholars, and enthusiasts. But I think as the three of us have sort of internally been saying, and I don't know if we've actually ever even said this on the air, but maybe this will be the time to do it, is that we kind of really latched onto this idea of theater enthusiasts as a big part of what we've been doing and a crucial part of what could be the mandate and the types of works we generate. We often say that we're not theater critics, we're theater enthusiasts. What we do isn't theater criticism, it's theater enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that might be a motif throughout a lot of what we talk about over the course of this panel. But to me, I think that phrase, even if it's not necessarily in the meat and potatoes of the mayday itself, is definitely something that three of us might be treating as a masthead moving forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jill? Yeah, I'd love to springboard off of that. Um, I completely agree with what Ryan is saying. And I think just going back to this is just me personally as an artist, you know, some of our viewers, whether you just started listening to our episodes or from the very beginning, I repeat a lot of what I say, quite literally in some of our episodes, I say I'm a broken record. And why I'm saying this now is because I've always kind of drummed through like it's so important to be talking about theater and practice and performance in a critical way. And I've said it more than once. I know that I have of a lot of the times and me identifying as a working actor, gratefully throughout the pandemic and continuing to do so now, a lot of the times in a project, in a performance, in a piece, you have, you know, the table read and you have the table work. But then once that table work is done, where, you know, you talk about backstory, you talk about dramaturgy, you flesh out why this, why now, But once the table work is done, you are up on your feet creating the piece, creating the art, which is incredibly important. But that art, I would argue, would not be able to be fortified and genuine and real and honestly fulfill us being true storytellers unless there were some table work. And table work equals critical discussion and coming to opinions and discussion of opinions and reflection. And that's essentially what the cup has been doing over these over this past year, you know, whether it be we are watching a piece of theater live or mediatized, and then we get in and just talk about themes and production elements, et cetera, et cetera, like, or it's a one-on-one artist interview and we're having them kind of tell their own story as artists, right? And how they came to be and what they're upcoming. So it's this element of community and of discussion that about a year ago, and a especially beyond that, the start of the pandemic. Me, as a very, you know, my sort of acting career, I was just starting to sink my teeth into that stuff. And then the pandemic happened and things wanted to go dark so bad because there was no rooms where we could have those table discussions. There were no stages where we could tell those stories. And I instantly went to, ah, okay, we need to continue having discussions as an arts community. 
whatever form that takes. And then enter Stratford releasing all of their shows. And that to me was a lovely liftoff in, okay, let's have these critical discussions. And then I remember a few, I don't know if it was, I don't remember exactly, but like a few months later, I think it was me that, I mean, the three of us came to it together, but I was like wanting to interview some members and a light bulb went off again of like, oh my gosh, that's another element of community that we can have is this one-on-one discussion with another artist talking about like augmenting projects they have upcoming or even just reflecting on who they are as a person, who they are as an artist, right? I remember in theater school too, and part of professional practice, there would always be, you know, if you're really interested in an actor or an artist or a director or an artistic director, go ahead and shoot them an email and ask them for coffee. What, like, what is that going to hurt, right? The least they can do is say they're busy, but more often than not, they'll say, yeah, I'll meet you at Balzac's and we'll discuss, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when stuff was closed down, I was like, okay, well, how easy is this? Now I can email someone and like jump on a Zoom call wearing pajama bottoms and talking to Andre Sills or something, you know, like, so it just, yes, David got like, so it just kind of, again, it was another thing of another silver lining over a lot of tumultuous stuff that's happened over the past couple of years was there is such close access to community and people and genuine conversation via Zoom, this media that we've kind of dumped ourselves into. And so, yeah, so I feel like I'm tangenting a little bit, but going back to the mandate, but I think that's exactly what we're doing now. And I think so often in this industry, especially from a practical side, which I'm very much entrenched in, you know, getting back out on stages and doing things, it can be very easy to kind of go through the motions with blinders on and really focus on, you know, your trajectory, what's, what is going on around you. But I'm always a firm believer in, in any piece that you're a part of or any company that you're a part of, the story and the acting put into the story will thrive times a thousand when the whole cast and the whole community is working together to support each other. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's what I love that our mandate does too, is it is encouraging artists, scholars, enthusiasts to just talk about the art and support each other in the art. Because I've said it once, I'll say it twice. Theater criticism, yes, I believe should exist. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Thing, just art should be critically analyzed, sure. But we are still rebirthing ourselves as artists, scholars, actors, enthusiasts from a very dark, non-theatrical time. And there's room for critique, sure, but I think there's a hell of a lot of room for enthusiasm because we all need to kind of work together to kind of create this in-person community again and have it thriving and encouraging as opposed to shunning, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm going to step off my little mandate soapbox and toss <laughs> it to you, Matt. Sure. I mean, for me, looking back at our origin story, as it were, I think it's a true representation of how good art works. Because a good artistic inve- venture or endeavor is fluid. It's ever evolving. No art should ever be static or complacent or just flat. Like a good piece of art grows and changes as new perspectives, new concepts are presented and the work molds. It shouldn't, it should, we should never freeze something. 
And so I think the fact that when we were faced with this uncertain pandemic lockdown time, and we were able to find alternative things to produce that ultimately became the flagship program we now do, I think that's just a, a beautiful representation of the great art journey that mm-hmm. that many artists and projects go on in their creation process. Like, like what's a good example? I'm trying to think of a good I'm trying to think of a good show example that people would know. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. They want people don't know. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, all right. Um, oh, West Side Story. West Side Story started out as East Side Story, focusing on the Catholics and the Jews. The artistic team went, we don't connect with this. Let's shake it up. Hey, juvenile delinquents, West Side Story, you know, Puerto Rican immigration. That seems to be more our cup of tea. Let's write a piece about that and let's evolve that. Leonard Bernstein took music he was writing from another show. It wasn't fitting in that show, so he brought it over and created new songs for West Side Story and thus the piece was born. That's what we kind of did here was we were presented with a problem of, hey, we can't produce live theater because there is a global pandemic that is literally mm-hmm. preventing us from leaving our homes. So mm-hmm. let's take these lemons and make some lemonade by doing some Stratford reviews. And that's what we did. And then that grew into the art, the artist interviews, which was the next thing. And then that mm-hmm. eventually evolved into the roundtable discussions and the Proudly Present series where we did uh staged readings and then we also did COH shorts which are our, which are just our scene work and then and then we've evolved into the duet reviews that we've done and now there's even mm-hmm. potentially more shows coming we did Nicholas Nickleby like we all did. these things have grown <laughs> like all these things have grown from this one slight pivot in the road that we took and I think that's a true representation of how good art works good art takes something that may not have worked at the initial part, but then turns it into something else that actually is prosperous mm-hmm. and has lots of fruit to give, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think, that, I think our journey is actually a very good representation for the, for general audiences of how does art get made? So I definitely say, Ryan, you could use us as a textbook example in your theater classes at school. I could, but that might feel self-indulgent. That's okay. <laughs> Self-indulgent's good every once in a while. It's always no, good but, but Mac, time. well said, and I think something that d- we don't talk about enough is that, like, the fact that we even started reviewing the Stratford stuff in the first place, that was all you already had your musical podcast before the downbeat. You kind of right. had the, the good sense of knowing how we could approach this, and yeah, we yeah. just... At the time, you were just, I, were you even yet the marketing manager? Or were you I just was the general, general assistant. assistant. Yeah, you were right. the general assistant of the first iteration of Cup of Hemlock, and you just proposed, hey, this is something we can do while we waste mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks at most to finally get our shows <laughs> off the ground. Exactly. And yeah, we'll be back in June. We'll be back in June, of course. But yeah, like I think that was just some brilliant initiative there that really did spin off into something truly special. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. and then we've all layered. I mean, I think I, I would like to give our viewers, listeners, a tiny peek behind the curtain of the three of us have been a well-oiled machine over the last, especially over the last year. You should see our um, spreadsheets. We have spreadsheets, but I think too that's another a thing that this has kind of worked. Like we we all have the core values of community comes first, mm-hmm. and we are all equally passionate about the discussion of the arts. As well as execution too, like from, we all, we're all sort of have our foot in like a different facet of the industry right now too. Mm. 
Mac you with your with at medieval times and yep. doing sort of like a marketing avenue there. Me yep. practically acting, getting my hands wet with dramaturgy or not dramaturgy. Well, a little bit, I guess. Dramaturgy, stage management, direction. <laughs> Brian, you doing your PhD for performance senior drama at U of T and teaching the da- the darn thing like. The three of us kind of coming together with mm-hmm. very different aspects and sort of leanings and gleanings into the craft, mm-hmm. but the same foundation. And then practically getting up these episodes, holy smokes, it's like Ryan does the write-up and sometimes maybe I'll edit the write-up and Mac <laughs> does the actual editing and we'll do all of our imaging and I'll do some interviewing and mm-hmm. scheduling. Like we all, I think, pass the torch Beautifully. And and I, I just think it'd be owed to our listeners and viewers that this sort of exposing this sort of relationship that that it isn't, you know, we're not just putting up this episode, like we are all a really supportive team of each other. And I think mm-hmm. that's what also helps to make especially this past year to thrive the way it has. So yeah, go team. Well Go team, go team. What's on the back? I mean, Jill, I mean, you kind of alluded to the next part because you talked about all the shows we produce. So (laughs) after producing this show for about a year and a half, almost two years now, we've made 100 episodes. Do you have a favorite episode or a few favorite moments from our past 100 episodes that you would like to shout out? Yeah, I think I'll just kind of nutshell mine because it's mine's kind of bookended a little bit. Mm -hmm. So. I want to start with some of my tried and true and favorite episodes were our original ones, our King Lear and our Coriolanus. And I think, again, just talking back from coming out of, there was a couple months of nothingness, right? If everyone kind of remembered, March 2020, we kind of went dark and I didn't really pick back up till the end of mid-May or whatever. So that April of 2020, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to be doing something, especially because... I felt my trajectory was kind of going up, 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 and then bam, the global pandemic happened. And so when we decided to do these panels and I was invited to be a part of them, I nerded out hardcore. I remember watching and like color coding my answers. I had my notebook, which I still sometimes do, but now that I'm comfier, I'll kind of go off the cuff too. But yeah, I remember like itemizing all of my answers and the discussion was so rich. I think you could tell that all four of us on both those panels were extremely excited and enthralled Mm -hmm. to just keep some sort of a flame alive, Mm -hmm. you know, and what an awesome opportunity to dig into to Stratford's works too as the catalyst for the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of that, a highlight episode for me too were the Merry Wives of Windsor, where we had David Collins and Bridget Wilson on. And that was just a really fun, like colorful panel. I think it was a perfect combination of professionals talk and shop mixed with just Mm -hmm. some fun cheeky Mm -hmm. statements and laughter and I just found it was like it was a perfectly packaged episode and then pivoting to interviews I I actually think like the cup interview sector of the cup is probably like what my favorite if not my like one of my if not my favorite vein of the cup just because it does allow for that intimate sort of one-on-one getting to know you kind of conversation or catching up with old pals. So two things I want to, you know, interviews I kind of want to shout out is George Alvizos and Cameron Grant. Both of them were in theater and drama studies at UTM Sheridan when I was there. They were both either like several years above me or below me, but for 
the four years I was in that program, they were a part of my journey as much as I may have been a part of theirs too, because across the four years in that program, it is quite intimate, regardless of what year you are in. So you kind of you see these people grow and watch them grow. And it had just been a while since I had caught up with both George and Cam. And it was kind of killing two birds with one stone, getting them in a Zoom room and interviewing them for the cup, because I so much have been following their trajectories as artists. So Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of hear more about that and augment what they have upcoming and how they have sort of waded through this global pandemic. And then also it was just a way of, you know, catching up as pals and supporting friends in the craft, which I think is equally as important. So yeah, a little specific shout outs. And I don't think there's hasn't been an episode where I haven't been like, yes, I love that we're Mm -hmm. putting out this content and we're supporting Mm -hmm. these people. This isn't like a specific episode to shout out, but just kind of talking, hearkening back to the fact that we're reviewing live theater stuff now because mm-hmm. live theater, we allowing the end conclusion of those episodes to be sort of like tangential advertising for these companies and these pieces. That's also been super rad and cool for me. So mm-hmm. lots of things. I love the cup. <laughs> Mac, what about you? What's What would be your oh, answer? Well, I mean, I have a few things. So my first one is in our Amadeus episode... <laughs> Where Ryan and I had one of our most heated <laughs> and iconic debates over the performance of, I forget that lead actor's name. Played- oh, it was, yeah, Gillen. He wasn't, not from, not Littlefinger, but maybe his brother. We don't know. But... Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but yes, yeah. Ryan and I's emphatic debate about this. And just Andrew, and I forget who, who our fourth Yeah, Allie was, was on that one, too. Allie was <laughs> on that one, too. Yeah. Just the two of them sitting back going, let's see these two duke it out with each other. Because... <laughs> Ryan and I were not giving each other an inch in that argument. To be clear, they were both on my side of that debate. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think Andrew was on my side. <laughs> we're not relitigating this. To now. be clear, if I'm not in the room, clearly there's no middle ground. You guys are just two dogs <laughs> but, in a cage. But no, I agree. That was such a fun, amicable debate. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. And then a follow-up to that was when we did our Oklahoma episode. Oh. And Rock. <laughs> It's frustrations in that episode of just the weird way they decided to film that where the audience was shown at the beginning, at intermission, and at the end, but we never heard a peep from them Dead silence. throughout the rest of the performance. <laughs> the um, most unattentive audience ever. They would not cheer after a single song. No. Nope. <laughs> um, and then also just Ryan's frustration dramaturgically about how the piece decides to end and just his what the hell is this piece that Mac is, <laughs> ha, has foisted upon me to do? So that was, so yes, that was another one I had a good chuckle at when we were doing that one. Uh, and so, then so far, it's Reflections of Ryan on the Cup has yes. been Mac's uh, highlights. <laughs> yes. Well, love now you, do we love get you to you, um, which is our lamest concert reviews. That was oh, a lot you. of fun to go back to yeah. revisit stuff that, I mean, I grew up with. I mean, hold on, stand by. <gasps> Oh. I have. It's either a Sondheim anthology or something no. lame is. Or it is my official name is VHS. <laughs> wow. Oh. That I have that yeah, it's a vintage one. So <laughs> the fact that I was able to share that with Jill and then just getting her live Facebook message updates as she's watching each concert doing the I hate this actor. What is this singing? I love this drop. Like I just the ongoing play by play the weekend before we recorded a response. To, to video to the three different concerts we had to review. So just watching Jill's mm-hmm. reaction to all of them was quite amusing and it became 
I think to date our own, yeah, our only two part duet review. We, we had to split it in half because it was like a, it was close to three hours of content. Yeah. So we were like, yeah, we got to split this sucker in half. So we did that. So well, that it was, was our long. intent to try to make it the same length of as course, the musical yes, itself, exactly. It right? was our intent. We went in knowing that's what we were going to do. Which right. we succeeded in doing for Nicholas Nickleby. <laughs> we did. Yes, Les Mis was the lead of Hashtag Nicholas. nine. So then the last highlight for me is really more of a thank you. And that is to Bridget Wilson, who mm-hmm. all the way back in episode three, when I took a shot in the dark messaging her saying, hey, we're this fledging little theater company. The pandemic's thrown us for a loop. We're now reviewing pieces that you have been a part of. Would you be at all willing to grace us with your wonderful presence and come and uh, sit down and review, not really review, more just have an open dialogue discussion into your process, into the piece that you were a part of. And that was with the Scottish play where she played one of the witches. And then mm-hmm. that just blossomed into her coming back for Pericles and Mary Wise, and she came back and did Cyrano, and she has just been one of our we interviewed her wonder- too. Yep. Which one? We interviewed yes, yes, her also. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. We did also did an interview. Ryan did the interview for that, and just she's been one of our constant supporters. Like she's always been willing to give insights to help us get in contact. She was she got us in contact with Tim and Irene for Henry VIII. Yep. Like she's just been someone who has been a constant supporter, and so the fact that we had such an esteemed member of the arts community willing to just kind of take the chance and sit down with us and be so open and welcoming (laughs) and just not doing the, no, I don't have time for this or no, I don't want to do this or no, I don't like doing these types of things. I don't like being out there and talking, giving my insights. So the fact that she was just so willing to be open and giving to us as just a fledgling company, I think was just a beautiful thing and just a true, part of what every good artist should do, which is the which is to pay it forward. You know, mm-hmm. like she talked about in in her interview how that is something that she really is all about of supporting uh up and coming writers with her writing group that she has in Stratford and just working with young artists at the festival, making sure they are welcomed and find their way in, in that big right. in that very big world of the Stratford Festival. Like she is truly someone who all artists who are in the mature era of their time should be emulating because I think that's a really important piece of what we do as artists is that we should all be working in some way, shape or form to pay it forward to the next generation. Absolutely. I just want to give her a big, huge thank you from the bottom of my heart for just responding to the message and answering the beacon, you know, answering the call <laughs> and just coming to sit with us, you know? So yeah, Bridget Wilson, if you are watching this, I hope you are. I know you've now, Taking a well-deserved step back to enjoy more time with the family and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. we hope you watch us. If not, we'll definitely be seeing you because I know we're all going to try and get out to see you at some point. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. But we definitely love you and we want to th- say thank you. So, yeah. Ryan? Yeah. Well, first of all, just wow. I had also forgotten that her first appearance was the third episode of this show like we really were like nothing yet. i don't even yeah. think we had released episode one when we recorded episode three like that's no we so, had, yeah. yeah what a crapshoot yeah. she took on us and like yeah we really do appreciate that thank you what a crapshoot you've been a wonderful presence on all those episodes i had such a hard time picking episodes to shout out because i just love so many of them i will say it's funny mac that you brought up oklahoma because that was one that made my list too because (laughs) well it's funny backstory on that i believe i was actually 
I was on standby for that episode. Like, that's something we may or may not talk about this occasionally. I don't know how often we bring it up, but we all we often have one of the three of us on standby to whichever who wasn't planned to be on the episode in case somebody drops out that we don't have to cancel our reschedule mm-hmm. at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So Peek I, behind the curtain. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. like that we're doing this. Okay, this is ahead. the episode for these peaks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was on standby for Oklahoma and I got the call like mere hours before the recording that somebody had dropped out as up and I hadn't yet watched the show at that point. And I wrote the episodes together, but I was like, Mac, I don't know anything about this play other than the one <laughs> song that everybody knows about it. Like you write the questions, I'll proofread them for grammar, I guess. But like <laughs> cannot be of any help for this. But I knew I would be on standby and I intended to watch the show, but then didn't get around to it until really like two or three hours before the call. So I finished watching this play like really minutes before we started recording <laughs> and the as those who watch it will know the ending baffled me i was my brain was short-circuiting trying to make sense of this ending and we had a question specifically about the ending that i remembered approving and that also spoiled the ending for me because i knew what was going to happen because i contributed to those questions but <laughs> seeing how it actually unfold was it was mind-boggling and like i know oklahoma is a you know, it's a hashtag problematic show for a lot of reasons. Like, and I think like a lot of our indigenous peers and colleagues have a lot of harsh words for it. But even if you put that aside, which I'm not inclined to, but even if you put that aside, the ending of this play makes no goddamn sense (laughs) for reasons that I don't need to say again here. You can just watch that episode. But like, the more I've thought about it since that recording, the more things I think about why it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like I, I still I, love that piece. <laughs> yeah, I think like the music's great, the characters are compelling, like whatever, but and it has an important place in musical theater history, but I'm just like, whoa, Rogers and Hammerstein, you kind of dropped the ball on this ending. It was their first attempt. Don't forget, nobody I know, it's, ever done what they Yes, did. I like Sound of Music a lot, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to poo-poo on Rogers and Hammerstein, but uh, I Stay think... Stay tuned for our whole Rogers and Hammerstein series where Ryan and I go back and revisit every show of <laughs> I will have to be on that game. episode so that yes we As actually a referee. get through questions <laughs> yes no but so yeah that episode just because of like how much I still keep thinking about that show like after and like I really just like how organic me spewing those thoughts mm-hmm. out like after having just seen it like that that one was that was <laughs> quite a special moment but some others I'd really like to shout out Nicholas Nickleby of course gets yes. like a big the entire endeavor all nine episodes ten Woo! episodes coming up soon oh, I'll say no more behind the curtain but yeah that was just such a fun like in addition to producing this like the regular episodes of this weekly for like two or three months mac and i would meet a second time every week to record an episode of that so yeah we had such a fun time even though i had my problems with the production as a whole we really did allow ourselves the time to really take it as it came and encounter it in this interesting way that sort of replicated the way that Dickens's own original audience might have encountered the story in serial form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was a really special thing. If I have to pick one episode from that in particular, episode seven, because yes. I'm usually, well, because I'm usually positivity guy on so many of these episodes, that was one where I really Unless just like... Well, okay, I, there, there are some times I let myself <laughs> let loose. But yeah, episode seven, it was kind of fun to just hate so many of the decisions that were made in that one and just kind of 
have at it, even though I was overall happy with the entire endeavor by the end. That one episode almost killed it for me. I have to give a special shout out to the ML Rio interview. Yes. Um, that is to date, I think, our most viewed, certainly on YouTube. I don't know what the stats are on the podcast side as well, but I think it has like over 3000 views on YouTube and it's like it gets new views every day. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's purely just because of her. Like, none of our other videos even come <laughs> close to that. Like, she clearly has a good following, well-deserved. I loved her book. But yeah, like, that that has been a very popular episode. And that was kind of when we first started pitching the idea of doing interviews. That was one that I, like, really wanted to make sure. Like, and that's the thing, Jill, you talked about how, oh, in theater school, they say just call up such and such artist and have a talk with them. But, like, that's something that I very rarely felt comfortable doing if I didn't mm -hmm. have something specific to pitch them on or talk to them about. And especially someone who's not in your local community, but just like a novelist who wrote a book you like, I would never think to, you know, it would just be fan mail, basically, which you could do, but that wouldn't really make sense to just be like, I liked your book, thanks for writing it, like, you know, but, <laughs> mm -hmm. but then, you know, as soon as we had this podcast series where we do, in fact, do interviews, I'm like, this could actually be an interesting way to not just write to this person whose work I admire, but actually get to sit down with her and talk at length about uh, the you know, the all the twists and turns of her book, which was really exciting. Mm -hmm. So, okay, uh, okay a couple more lightning round that I'm going to go through. All right, lightning round. War Horse, obviously, I got to say my whole War Horse rant, which, <laughs> which, yeah, and it was just fun talking to Susan and Montana on that one, but in mm -hmm. general, but yes, I had a lot of thoughts about War Horse that had been bubbling up for years, and I finally got to spew them out in an open forum there. <laughs> it was the anti-Oklahoma, which was just completely impromptu. Okay, just watch this thing. Let's go. War Horse was something I've been thinking about for a long time. Different yes. versions of Spew. <laughs> yes, different versions of Spew. Tusicle. That's just a fun mm. episode. That was a yep. fun, unconventional piece. It was nice talking to Allie about that. Just It was one of the earliest duet reviews we did. And yeah, that's something that I remember reading about at the time and thinking, well, that's a fun, silly premise, but then not even thinking that I would ever actually even watch the thing. And then we watched it and did an episode on it. And that also became like a pretty popular video for a while because there was a lot of very online people who were very invested in that show. I, and one last one I'll shout out. N not much to say about it, but I really like the Red episode. The Red episode is a oh. solid. It's uh, Mac, you, me, Ed, and Max Ackerman. Yes. Uh, we just had like a really like solid, like fruitful discussion. That was a lot of interesting. About kitchen sinks and running about, water. On yes. Well, I think that was the first of our many discussions about that topic. But but yeah, I just think that's a solid one that never really got the love it deserved. It's a bit more of an obscure contemporary play than a lot of the things we cover. But yeah. Give the Alfred episode. some. Yeah. Alfred Molino was great in that production. Everybody should watch the production. Alfred Enoch was episode. in that too. Alfred Enoch was also good in it. <laughs> We're sorry <laughs> that you don't get as much praise as your other Alfred co-star. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so many great moments from past episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had our, our musical and Shakespeare roundtable. Yep. That were lots of fun, a lot of great discussions in those. We had so many good ones. Like we had our Nutcracker episode, which yeah. is another highly popular episode. One of our most unexpected surprises was seeing the number for the nutcracker people like, love the nutcracker people <laughs> love that nutcracker ballet and the fact mm -hmm. that it was the only time where we've had an issue or yeah that well, yeah well, that in angels in america part one which has since yes. usurped nutcracker as the most watched review on oh, youtube wow. so it's the we're the two times we have technical difficulties that obstruct the video quality <laughs> we should do that more often because i guess the audience loves it <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah i remember editing the nutcracker being like who's gonna watch still photos of our faces intercut with some pictures from the production and then sure enough 
proves to be everybody did. Yeah, people really love the Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of fun there. Who knows what we're going to be doing this holiday season? Stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all right, let's get to the next question though, which is the bulk of our content consists predominantly of theater reviews. What are your thoughts on our distinct style of reviewing? Which is something that was created when Ryan and I first started our Stratford reviews, where we where it was myself, Ryan, and I believe Will, one of, one of the original co-founders, was in there too, where mm-hmm. we all kind of sat around and went, "Okay, let's figure out our review yeah. format. Like, let's try and figure out some questions, some concepts." So, Ryan, as someone who helped initially create the format, what are your thoughts on it? Okay. Lots of thoughts. Shocker, I know. <laughs> I'll try to be as concise as possible, but I think there are basically three things that make our specific brand of reviewing special. The first one is dialogue. Mm-hmm. Is that theater critics can get themselves into hot water when they frame their subjective opinions and perspectives as authoritative appraisals that all must agree with, lest to be accused of having objectively bad taste, which isn't a real thing. But they can attempt to mitigate that perception by qualifying their assessments with a reiteration of their subjectivity. That's just one critic's opinion, man, etc. But the form of most reviews, being monologues essentially, tends to make the authoritative posture inescapable. It's one person telling you whether or not you should see the show. So by bringing together multiple voices and perspectives with varying degrees of prior familiarity or expertise on the piece in question, or even on just the art of theater, Mm-hmm. And putting them on a level playing field, we generate richer discussions that are never limited by a single person's preferences or blind spots. And I think that's very important. And I've noticed that other critics are maybe following our example. Intermission Magazine, whose senior editor, Ashley Murphy, has been a very frequent guest of ours, has published at least, I believe, three reviews earlier this summer. The one on Anne Juliet, one on Every Little Nookie, and their non-review slash article on Kim Lupa. That also kind of followed this dialogical format. So I wonder where she got that idea from. But no, I'm not saying that like in a catty competitive way. I think it's good that we are having this influence and people are recognizing that there is value in putting multiple voices in dialogue about these pieces. So that's very good. And honestly, I think you sort of alluded to something like this earlier, Mac, but this is how most non-critics engage with art and media. You see a show, you talk about it with your friends afterward, usually over a drink. And I like how we've taken that premise that we're all so familiar with and turned it into a maybe new kind of criticism or a new way of approaching criticism. That dialogue feels so important to what we do. And talking through your thoughts with another person can often change your opinions about something or expose you to perspectives and interpretations that you hadn't previously considered. This is why I kind of, even though you know, we didn't pick the name Cup of Hemlock. I kind of like that we've committed to it and kept it here because, you know, it's an allusion to Socrates from the various dialogues of Plato. And the Socratic dialogue is this format where through talking out your ideas with another person who maybe will be a bit of a contrarian and maybe say things just to get you to throw a wrench into your thinking, that you might actually change your perspective. So I think, You know, even if we didn't choose it, and it certainly wasn't chosen for this type of company, for this type of show, I really think, yeah, dialogue is so inherent to what we are. So Cup of Hemlock and that Socratic ethos very much fits into it. So that's the first one, dialogue. Number two, long form criticism. So most reviews are mercantile in nature. They fall into the category of consumer criticism, which boils down the complexity of a show into little more than was it good, should you see it? 
Now, there's also academic criticism, on the other hand, which goes into way more detail, but is almost exclusively targeted towards a very niche audience of fellow academics. So what I think we've done here is we've tried to marry the two by bringing the depth of long-form academic criticism into a form that feels more casual and, we hope, more accessible to anyone who might just be tuning in without these familiarity and expertise. We're not restricted by column inches of newspaper reviews, so we give ourselves the freedom to say as much as we want and dig as deep as we can, knowing that, mm -hmm. yeah, people can pause this over time. They don't have to listen to it in one sitting, so we don't have to feel like, oh, this is getting too long. Let's just cut our thoughts here. We really mm -hmm. let ourselves dig deep into the meat and potatoes, and I think that's very important. And the third one, which is kind of an extension of the other two, but... <laughs> It's dramaturgical criticism and balancing that with performance criticism. This goes back, Mac, to what you were just saying, that first meeting we had where you, me, and Will tried to iron out exactly what we wanted this to be. And I think we made a very smart decision then to have the first half of the episode be responding to the specific production. Which actors did you like? What were your production elements? Would you recommend it? Et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, then we have the second half where we just, you know, put on our sort of high school English brains or dramaturgy brains, however you like to put it, but specifically with the Shakespeare sounds good. <laughs> yeah, but specifically with the Shakespeare stuff, I think that's an apt comparison because we ask questions like, do we think Iago has reasonable motivations for the way he acts? Like that's mm -hmm. a classic grade 12 English essay prompt, like, but it's something we haven't thought about maybe since grade 12 English. And maybe mm -hmm. you think about it watching the play, but then if you're just asked questions about which actor did you like, you might not even get an opportunity to dig into those thoughts. And as much as it's important to cultivate the artistry of what the performers and the production people and directors are putting into this work, at the end of the day, we encounter these works because we care about the stories, the characters, mm -hmm. the themes, and so much of that short form consumer criticism really doesn't dive into that very much or only scratches the surface of it. Mm -hmm. And I like that I've said this before, or I definitely said this on Anthony Piccioni's podcast when I was a guest on that, talking about the cup is how, and anyone who watches our episodes probably knows this about me, but you know, I kind of, I wouldn't say I phone it in, but we kind of have sort of maybe like milder answers during like the first half questions when it's always about just like the production elements, but where I get really animated into the mm -hmm. discussion is always in the second half of the episodes. Mm -hmm. Because that's when I, like, and I'm a dramaturg, and dramaturg and critic, there's a reason why these are two of the jobs that you're technically qualified to do after graduating with a bachelor's in theater history or theater studies, because they are very similar transferable skills, and it really just kind of means diving into these pieces and asking the right questions and seeing what sort of fruitful things come out of that. So, mm -hmm. dialogue long-form criticism, dramaturgical analysis. I don't see a lot of critics doing those kinds of things, and I think that is what makes our unique style of criticism kind of something special. Darn, mm -hmm. how do we follow this up? And genuine, yeah. I, like, picture-perfect package thing that Ryan just said, I will copy and paste that <laughs> to uh, my answer. And also, I know we're going to be talking about this as the episode goes on too, but so I don't want to bleed into this answer too much, but I do love that, you know, when it kind of hearkening again back to, I said hearkening a lot, but that's my, I guess that's my word for this episode, hearkening back to the beginning of the pandemic when all we did have was, okay, let's pull from Stratford at home. Let's pull from Broadway HD or National Theater. This is, you know, a piece that's existed from like 2012 or a couple of years back. And here's our sort of, we got into a formula of, as Ryan was saying, the first half production element favorite actor would you recommend? And then talking about the story, the foundation that the production comes from dramaturgically. Mm -hmm. So that 
formula worked for that. But a thing that I love that we've done is we've sort of evolved to drafting up a questions for live performances that are either directly in Toronto or performances that are in Stratford, etc. We've kept sort of a template, but there it, there's wiggle room as to the types of questions that we're asking and kind of information that we're augmenting. Like, mm-hmm. I love that we've made that switch too, because for something that exists today on, you know, national theater at home, that was a production that happened in 2012, we're sort of talking back on that production. So as opposed to, you know, we review and Juliet, which is happening right down the street from us. And three weeks ago, and in person, we're reviewing it. The question structures change. We're sort of asking ourselves different questions, or we're bringing up different ways of talking about the piece because it's happening now. And I just love that we've had that malleability now of and again, I think that is a testament to us as the cup curators not phoning it in, right? We see a piece of theater, whether it be one that existed a couple years back and it's only available as a pro shot or whether it's one that, as I mentioned, is down the street from you and we're talking about it now, we sort of focus in on what are we reviewing, why are we reviewing it, and how are we reviewing it? And again, talking back to a lot of the stuff that is local and live or stuff that is friends or colleagues that we know or pieces that are in our neighborhood, we kind of go the extra effort to sort of augment their work as much as discuss Mm -hmm. it as well, because I think that's equally as important too. So yeah, I guess, I guess the only thing to add to Ryan's is like the, I love that we have our formula and I love that we also are very present with how that formula is shaved down or added to, depending on the piece of work that we're discussing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm piggybacking on all of this. I mean, I just think what's great about our format is it gives not only ourselves, but our fellow artists the chance to not only openly discuss the given production, but also allows them to dive deeper into the textual side of the piece. Mm-hmm. to break it down to a deeper level like as we talked about that often we do behind the curtain in a rehearsal room at a table read but general audiences like my parents would never in a million years see us deep dive into the text like we normally like we do in our review so i think it's great giving the audiences a better chance because i mean i was speaking with my dad about this who watches our content is that he often goes i wish there was more of this type of textual conversation because there is so much Ju- juicy nuggets in the text that for general audiences who are hearing Hamlet spoken for the first time or hearing the lyrics of, of, of Into the Woods spoken about for the first time may not catch all the ins and outs that Sondheim or Shakespeare gave the actors to work with that they're having a lot of fun but to general audiences it goes right over their heads because they're not seeing with the libretto or the script going ah mm-hmm. yes when Hamlet talks about this he is really meaning this yeah, and the fact that we're doing this homework and it's applicable to, as Ryan said, to a high school English class who are also reading Othello or King Lear or Mackers or Hamlet or Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet, or we haven't done Midsummer yet, but we will, <laughs> or Midsummer, like all these pieces that are classically done in school. Like I feel like a lot of our questions are not just reading comprehension questions because that's something Ryan and Will and I really strove to do when we first made our first round of videos questions when we looked at Stratford's list and went okay let's do Romeo and Juliet let's do all these and we're gonna go beyond mm-hmm. just the classic reading comprehension question of what do you think Iago's motives were it's no let's see uh, uh, let's put his motive to the test let's see if we can find the valid argument of 
is he justified in his hatred for Othello? And the fact that we then bring people on like David Collins, who brings up the whole concept of Othello being a propaganda piece for against interracial marriage during the Elizabethan age is something that I personally never would have thought about. But something that David clearly has a lot of knowledge and insight to bring because he's lived with this piece for longer. So the fact that we're able to give these artists a chance to voice something that maybe many people don't think about, but yet we as artists are actively digging into these pieces. And now general audiences or other artists who have never heard of a piece like Pipeline or something like that, mm-hmm. or the fact that we get to dive into it and give and give some analysis, then gives other people the chance to go back to their friend group and go, hey, I watched this really cool video where they talked about this. Because that's what I do. Like I oftentimes will watch a video about the background of a MCU comic book that's now being adapted into a movie. Then I go talk to my right. dad who knows nothing about it. Then I sound like the expert. So we're giving artists and <laughs> audiences a chance to send it like, uh, like the expert because we are giving them some great, valuable insights into mm-hmm. the pieces that, uh, as Ryan said, I don't think we get that just because I, I, oftentimes when you're doing a review, there is a certain word limit you can do or there's a time crunch that you're trying to meet. But the fact that we have openly just said, nope, if the P- if our reviews go two hours, so be it, Mac will edit the two-hour video. You know, yeah. that type of thing there. I mean, we try to keep it under two hours for max sanity. Usually two hours is enough. Yeah. <laughs> we can still be long form in two hours. That exactly. is long form. Exactly. So, yeah. I, if, yeah I, if I can respond to just, like, two things you've popped up, Mac, just really quickly, too. Like, I also have friends. Like, shout out to Katie McMillan, who I just did Flash with in Calgary. She's a Calgary-based artist. She's done a lot of shows with Theatre Calgary, some upcoming Love you, Katie. And she loves listening to theater podcasts. She listened to Tits and Teeth, which is a Canadian musical theater mm-hmm. podcast. Great and then podcast. she caught up to that and she's like, I need, you know, new co- podcast content. So I just kind of shouted out Cup of Hemlock, what have you. And she, while we were in rehearsals for Flash, started listening to the cup. And I was like, <laughs> but she was so invested. And in, because all the things we're saying and her being an artist and her brain is mm-hmm. magical, like Katie McMillan's brain, like, she she is so committed and passionate about what she does. And you know that there's always something cooking behind that skull of hers. And that's the first thing she said too, of like, I wouldn't even think to talk about these pieces the way that you, that other people have talked about them. And also she's like, you talking about Anne Juliet, you know, me being in Calgary, I didn't have a chance to see it. But the discussion that was had on the show, I felt like I was in the room a little bit, mm-hmm. or I, I got to get in on what everyone was talking about. So I think that is another sort of happenstance community builder right there is that some people don't have the opportunity to see these pieces and they can mm-hmm. kind of live vicariously through how they're chatted about. And just one other thing to talk about too, art is smart and art is hard. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are not in the industry, A lot of people think this job is easy. They think anyone can do it. And they think that, you know, a a lot of, especially a lot of actors get really bad raps of just phoning it in and, you know, not, it's very, it's such an easy craft. No, it is incredibly hard. It is emotional. It is vulnerable. And it's the fact that we, as the cup and even just as the industry at large, we have to have discussions. We have Mm -hmm. to have discussions about story, about storytelling, about humans, about emotions, about, yeah, like otherwise our jobs will not be what they are, will not be effective. And I think Mm -hmm. I just, I love what we've done too with the cup and 
creating, giving the art that agency bump as well, because I think so often it's, everyone sees this craft as easy and it's really Mm -hmm. not like, it's Mm -hmm. incredibly hard. And so, Mm -hmm. but if you do talk things out and create a community, it it does make, yeah, make pieces stronger Mm -hmm. and easier to tap into. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's well said, well said. All right. Well, Jill, you kind of sort of alluded to this in, in your answer for the this past question, but let's dive in deeper. So with the world of theater reopening, our reviewing content has begun to evolve. We now feature reviews of pre-recorded pro shop performances, coverage of new slash live performances. And we just recently experimented with our review roundup format with the Toronto Fringe Festival, where we covered 23 shows in two hours. Woo! That, that, the adventure on that one. So how do we feel these different review styles differ from one another? Do we foresee one of these formats becoming a more dominant style for us in the future as more live theater opportunities return and open for us? Mm-hmm. So Jill, do you want to add anything on to something you were already kind of talking about in the last question? Yeah, I really hope it doesn't go away. Because I also, I love the fact that, you know, when live theater became a thing again, we weren't like, okay, great. Now we're pivoting to just just going out to mm-hmm. see shows and just talking about what, you know, Soul Pepper, Crow's Factory and mm-hmm. any tangible theater company is doing. We still go back and review, oh, hey, this thing came up on Broadway HD. Let's talk mm-hmm. about this thing that happened in 2004 mm-hmm. or something, right? Or hey, this TikTok musical popped up. Let's talk about that. And I think also it kind of going back to the agency of arts is it's it's solidifying that art can exist. And especially in the ex- exponentially digitized world we live in, mm-hmm. especially post-pandemic, mm-hmm. where digitized was the only element we had for a while, mm-hmm. art can exist in many different facets and many different styles. And so it's lovely that we have like neighborhood on our feet art, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that we can shelve the digital or we should shelve the digital books now, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of hope we do this hodgepodge mortgage board review style. I think that also I bring up quilt imagery a lot in our episodes. And I think that's another really unique facet of this company is we are we consist of various different types of materials and color patches that make what the cup of hemlock quilt is and i think the style of show that we review is a testament to that too so i i hope it doesn't go away now i will i imagine that we will continue to have more live theater or in in IRL sort of instances to review and rightfully mm-hmm. so to augment that side of the craft again now that theaters are reopened but I also like to peek behind the curtain wise the three of us are very busy in our other veins of the <laughs> industry that it helps to have online content or content that is easy accessible at any time that we can sort of record episodes and keep them holstered and Mm -hmm. released too so that our viewers and audiences are never without some sort of fruitful discussion whether that be something that's happening locally or you know in Toronto now or 
the, you know, production of Julie that's on National Theater that Ryan and I are probably going to review soon and keep holstered for a later date. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's happy convenience, I guess. Yeah. And then I think just to talk to like the review roundup that we did with Fringe, I thought that was a super cool sort of like on your feet go. We only have this amount of time. Let's chat, chat. And again, it brought people into the room that couldn't have seen Fringe or it's a wonderful springboard for folks that were in Fringe and workshopping new works. Now they have a little tidbit of dialogue to kind of add for grants, et cetera, et cetera. So Fringe Roundup or any type of like festival roundup, I think that would be something definitely to keep as a flavor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It could be an annual thing. Yeah, sure. Exactly. So yeah, I just, I look forward to us mm-hmm. keep sewing different types of patches onto our cup quilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stepping off of the soapbox again. And just to say, Mac did have a, an audio glitch a couple of paces back. So maybe this video again will be viewed by a lot of people because we had a tech glitch. Sorry, oh. that's been on the mind too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I'll say like with, with this question, I mean, I, it was great kind of going through our different formats and going like with our classic pro shot reviews that we do. It's much more of a reflect piece where we kind of get to look back at past productions that have already closed that don't need marketing or pushing, you know, which is, hey, let's talk about Hell McCrory in, in, in Medea where it's she sadly passed, the production's closed. But hey, let's go back and look at this production from the mid 2010s. And see how it shapes up. Like we did, we did that with Antigone, where we were able to go back and look at a piece that featured two, four, two Doctor Who's before they were mm-hmm. Doctor Who, and kind of go into the look of that and go, how does this piece hold up nowadays? And there's some pieces that we come out going, yeah, maybe it doesn't hold up because maybe the direction wasn't quite what we needed to be from our 2022 perspective. But then there's sometimes where you come out of a piece going, wow, that piece still has its hold on us. It still is saying something after all these years, like um, when we did Dominic Morso's Pipeline, which was recorded in the mid-2010s, and then watching it now in 2020, watching 2021, I believe is when we did that review, but just being able to go back at that and go, ah, okay, wow, this piece still resonates today. Even something like Showboat, a piece from the mid-aughts, which was an opera company's pr- production of a piece that was done that was created almost a hundred years before that. And mm-hmm. being able to go back and really reflect on that piece and go, oh, wow. A lot of us came in, me especially going, I don't know if this musical still stands or has its place, but I came into that going, wow, okay. There actually is something here. There actually is something in this piece that is worth the analysis, that is worth the time and energy. So I think that's something that's really special about the pro shot reviews that we do. Then we have our, live upfront catch it in the moment reviews that we did with the some of the pieces we've been invited to like jill and i going to see that wonderful transcendence piece yeah uh, groom night that was a lot of fun that was something that was right away very unique and a lot of us to make some wonderful connections with some artists mm-hmm. there that was really a great opportunity same thing with that the wonderful piece I'm totally blank on the name right now. I apologize. All about the office. Ryan, you and I went and saw it. Oh, the Huns. Yeah. That was the Huns. Huns. Yeah. The Huns. The Huns, which is a piece that I probably never would have heard of until we were invited to see it. And I came up just going, oh my goodness, what a fantastic piece. So I think that's something Mm -hmm. that's really great about what we've been able to do is because 
to be honest, we're not being invited to Mervis shows or Stratford shows. Or we're still reviewing Mervis shows, hashtag and Juliet, but no, they're we are still reviewing them. We're not being invited to them. But the fact that who's the people who are inviting us are people who are like us, who are smaller, just mm-hmm. get, getting their footholds in the world of the Toronto art community. So the fact that we're able to give voice to these productions that probably would go unnoticed or wouldn't gain, garner as much attention the broader world. So the fact that we were able to give just a small Timbit, uh, a tidbit, not Timbit. Tidbit. Tim, no, it can be Timbit because we're Canadian. Ah, true. <laughs> to to these pieces, and that they that's just not sponsored for grants that they can just use for their own benefit or just enjoy the fact that hey, somebody came and spoke about our piece. Because I know I like when people comment on our thing saying, "Hey, watch your piece, love what you did." Right? Like I thoroughly enjoyed that. So I think that's something that's great about our live pieces is that the people that we're getting a chance to highlight are people who are searching for that too. Like even having somebody like Anthony all the way down in New York reach out mm-hmm. to us and go, hey, I have a play that is off-Broadway. It's or off-off-Broadway. I'm not sure which one it was, but it, it's small. It's intimate. Like I, 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 it's not going to be big, but I love just to be able to be featured and talk about my work and just get the word out there in any way, shape, by form I can, which is that true guerrilla art like like guerrilla warfare art, art, art style that so many indie artists do, and so the fact that we're able to be part of that, I think, is something really special that our live content format provides. And of course, we have the uh, roundup review. That's the newest venture we just did. That, as I said, I think will become an annual thing as long as we run. Which will, has Fringe comes every year. I mean, I mean, maybe one day we'll fly and do. Edinburgh Fringe. We'll, we'll do a special trip somewhere and do something or, or go somewhere else to Ottawa or Calgary or down to the States or something. Who knows? Maybe we'll one day win the lottery Dude. and be able to go around the world and do all these different fringe festivals. <laughs> Put it out there in the there world. Is. Win us the lottery. Yeah. So there we go. So yeah, I mean, I think that's what's great about that is it gives us opportunity to kind of in the same Max sanity because trying to do 23 mini review edits would have totally fried Max brain. The fact that we were able to come up with a organic way of bringing these pieces together, still giving the art, the companies and the artists a chance to be chatted out and recognized is really important. And it yeah. all came about because we were ready to see Wanda at Fringe and we went, mm-hmm. we're not going to have time to get this out before the end of the run for Wanda. So let's do something special where Jill and Ryan came up with the great concept of let's do a review roundup where we mm-hmm. highlight all the shows that we see, because we all were going to go see several shows. So let's do something where we highlight everybody and give a chance right. to really speak on each piece on their own. So I think that's something that's really great about that, that concept is that, and it's something that will be used probably more frequently as more festivals arise for opportunities. So, yeah. Ryan? Yeah, we've both said so many interesting things, <laughs> but I think there's still a couple things I'd like to add. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> a shocker. So, first of all, I think, yeah, Part of the phrasing of this question was about, is one going to take precedence over the other? And I feel like that has maybe started to happen already, whether we like it or not, because as we've done more of these, we have been keep getting invited to other shows. And because ones that we're invited to that are live, that you know we want to make sure we get our reviews out during the runs of the shows, those have to take precedence. We mm-hmm. still do, like Jill said, where we take pre-recorded things and put them in, record them and put them in a treasure trove for when we have a blank space on our release schedule. But yeah, whereas we used to only do that, now those are getting very yeah. much relegated to that position. And part of me thinks that is still a bit of a shame. And I maybe think skipping ahead to the next hundred episodes, maybe we'll find a better way to balance the two. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. But and part of my reason for thinking that is because just due to the 
quick turnaround nature and expediency of how we approach the live performances for the most part it's just the three of us doing them two Mm -hmm. of us will go see the show and we do it in our duet review format where it's only two speakers as opposed to the whole four-person panel that we become accustomed to with the pro shot reviews Mm -hmm. and as much as i love the three of us you two especially i feel like we are missing out on a bit of a diversity of perspectives Mm -hmm. and opinion part of that dialogue that i just said i think is so great we still bring the dialogue because two people will have different perspectives on the piece but i really do love how our pre-recorded panels are set up in a way that Mm -hmm. do bring people from all over the community and bring their different perspectives, people in different roles, different types of artists or enthusiasts or scholars. That's the mandate. So yeah, I I would to see, I don't want, you know, pre-recorded doesn't necessarily have to, you know, get pushed aside for the new ones or it shouldn't even be an even balance. And as more and more shows are opening up, I think there is more of a demand for reviews of the new things but i feel like there's maybe still ways that we can tweak the balance of these to bring in those perspectives and service our community on that end more um aside from that to talk about the round the roundup for fringe in particular fringe reviewing is in a difficult state right now because you know there used to be a very well-known blog here in toronto that no longer exists called mooney on theater Mm -hmm. that would send out a fleet of usually i don't know if they were volunteers or just like kind of you know paid per review people to just go out and see make sure they covered every single fringe show that by day three of the festival every single show had one review and that doesn't exist anymore i actually remember standing in line at a fringe show and hearing people talk about how oh they don't know what to see they miss mooney how there isn't like a big you know way that you can just type in any single show into google and know okay what what did mooney think about it and mooney mm-hmm. you know it wasn't megan mooney herself who was going out to review everything but and also had problems with mooney in particular not as an institution i thought they did great work but that fleet of reviewers many of whom weren't very experienced you know, you didn't always get good quality reviews and it wasn't always this, like even across the board. And if one person didn't like a show and that's the only review they get, that could kill that show. Like we talk about how people like Ben yeah. Brantley in New York are so powerful that they can break a show with their opinion. But honestly, <laughs> I feel like you don't even have to be Ben Brantley for that if you're just the one person who happens to review a show and you actually just don't know what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. you, this is what I was talking about before about the authoritative monologue that is most reviewing. So I you know, Mooney doesn't exist anymore. That's beside the point that sort of the quirks of, you know, what could be problematic about their form of reviewing. But at the end of the day, we don't have anything taking its place. There is not a lot of shows for Fringe probably didn't even get reviewed at all. And I tried to follow usually after the festival ended or after I'd seen certain shows, like who did do the coverage. And we had some like Intermission Magazine had like their kind of young reviewer unit that reviewed a lot of things. Stageworthy Podcast did a few roundtables with artists, but not really mm-hmm. reviews. It's not really their main thing. And I learned about a lot of new blogs that I never realized existed, or maybe I don't know if they're even new blogs or if they just are now filling in the void. Glenn Sumi at now also was one of the like main people reviewing things. So there was some coverage in the fringe community, but nothing like of the breadth. And even our 23 reviews like which to us feels like so much is really just scratching the surface there's so many shows Mm -hmm. and for the most part there were a couple shows that did invite us specifically but aside from that we just kind of went with our own interests what do we personally Mm want to see and we'll just make a point of reviewing those so i think we did the best we could with the limited resources we have but i still feel like a lot is being lost around the margins and something else i'll also say is you know, I don't take issue with the fact that we didn't get our fringe roundup out 
you know, during the festival. That actually wasn't the point was to do it after so we can make sure we've seen everything we're going to see and then talk about it. And I'm a big proponent of the fact I've sort of talked about this already that, you know, criticism has more than just its mercantile function. It's not just, you know, generating advertisements to see this show. Like, you know, people might say like, oh, what's the point of doing all of these reviews after it's too late to see the shows? But I think we are you know, documenting these shows for theater history. We are recording this moment for posterity and the artists probably care about what people thought of their shows, even if it isn't about generating word of mouth. So I'm like perfectly fine with that being the way we approach this format. But the one thing that I maybe do take a little issue with, and this isn't like any fault of ours, we did what we could and I want us to keep doing it year after year. But I do feel like those three pillars of what I just said is so great about what we do. I honestly think we failed to do those three things or at least two of the three in the roundup format, because for the most part, we each show was reviewed by just one of us. There were a couple that two of us saw that we were able to do the dialogue for, but they kind of did just become short form, not long form, but short form Mm -hmm. monologues about this is what I thought. And to me, you know, it is what it is. It's the way we approached it. But I think that was a bit of a shame since it kind of detracts from the main things we do that we give it the length and the detail. And yeah, we really couldn't give it the length in that format. And evolve for for next year. Yeah. It's just, Things I've been thinking about since, because, yeah, like I had so many thoughts about so many of those shows that I just didn't have the time to get into because we had so many to cover. We had to move on. And yeah, at the end of the day, though, we did still, for the most part, get to talk dramaturgy about them, which I think does kind of make it, yeah, who this is still the good thing that we do. But yeah, it's just notes to self. And I'm thinking, how can we improve this for next year? What might be the way we can continue to do this? And maybe if we start getting more of a budget by next year, we can send out more of a fleet that can cover a wider array and maybe more people can see. We'll see. Uh, But with the resources we have, I think we did something very good that did service the community. And Mm -hmm. it's been doing pretty well, that video. So I think a lot of people from the community were very happy that we did it. And we got some lovely comments on it too. We did. We did. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So now we're going to talk about a section of the cup that we painted up. We haven't given its proper due. So apart from our review panels, another main vein of the cup is our artist interviews. What mm-hmm. are your thoughts on that branch of the company? Jill or Ryan, who wants to take this one first? Because you both kind of have... Do, do you want to take yeah, a stab you, at it first, I, Matt? Because you, I feel like of the three of us, that this is a vein that you haven't hosted as often as Ryan and I. I so yeah. let's get your perspective on it. Yeah, yeah, you also haven't absolutely. started a question in a while. <laughs> yes. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, for me, I mean, this concept came up during one of our weekend company meetings back in the old team format when we were still in the midst of the pandemic and either Ryan or Jill or maybe both of you, I can't remember which one of you started, but one of you proposed the concept. And then from there, it's kind of been a great kind of opportunity because that branch is, or it has opened doors to some fantastic conversations with some incredible artists from Bridget to Autumn to ML Rio to Andre Sills to people who maybe wouldn't even know who like general audiences would know like uh, Mateo who Ryan interviewed all about his play so that was really nice so I think what's so great about these intimate and informal conver- informal discussions is that they've given artists a great opportunity to not just speak about one of their projects that they're doing which is something that what a lot of artist interviews become which is Hey, Jill, you're working on the Merry Wives of Windsor. So let's interview you about the Merry Wives of Windsor. And then that's all you talk about. A lot mm-hmm. of our review or interviews that we've done are not just, hey, tell us about the piece you're working on because it happened during the pandemic when pieces weren't happening. It became more about, 
let's talk about you and your and the things that have influenced you in your work. And I think a great example of that is our two-part Michael Roth interview that we did, which was hosted by me. You myself. and Michael in a room together, or no wonder it ended up as two hours. It was four hours. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, that piece there what, was a great example of what the interview format can do, which is, hey, let's talk about you and give you a mm-hmm. chance to and, and, give, and, and just to pick your brain. Like the fact that Michael was able to talk so much about just going to theater in New York and not going to see the big Broadway show, but going to see like a little off Broadway piece that opened his mind to music and doing, and then his ability to then talk about the different ways that he wrote his music. Like when he did the Tempest and 12th night, and then his piano was right there. You can just start hammering it out on the keys, you know? And then like, you go to somebody like Bridget who talks about just what it's like to not only be a mom, a, a working mom in theater, but then also, mm-hmm what it's like to be a mature woman in theater and just what does that toll take on someone when there aren't as many roles designed like like the Merry Wives of Windsor to give these fantastic actresses a chance to perform, you know, because they're in that in-between air where they're not quite old enough to yet to be playing some of the Grand Dame characters like What's Your Name from Ernest. Lady Bracknell. <laughs> Lady Bracknell, but they're not quite young enough anymore to play the ingenue or the young mom in a play, you know, like they're kind of like Bridget was in that in between era. So the fact she was able to talk about and really bring that issue to light is something really special. So I think that's mm-hmm. something really wonderful about the interview format is it, it gives the artist a chance. I mean, sometimes we do have pieces like Anthony's where we we're talking to really specifically about a piece, but I mean, Ryan and Jill, who posted a lot of these interviews, have done a really good job of saying, yes, we'll talk about your piece. But we're also mm-hmm. going to try and really highlight and get more about you and not just yeah. your project. And I've got something that's really beautiful about our interview branch is that it's giving artists a chance to highlight themselves versus just the given project of the day that they're marketing for, you know? Because you're a human first before the artist. Exactly. Jill. Yeah, I'll piggyback off that. Sure. Reiterating everything you said, again, Mac, and also like, I love people. I'm a very big people person. I'm an extrovert. I just love humans, getting to know humans, you know, where they came from, why they are the way they are. I think that's part of like my sciency psychology Mm -hmm. side of my brain, fascination side of my brain too. And so, yeah, I think it was kind of an chicken and egg situation between me and Ryan when it came to proposing the interview format. Because again, just sharing from my end, I know there was part of me that was itching for community, for artistic Mm -hmm. community, and just being in rooms with artists that you may not have met, but the only reason why you're meeting is because you're plopped in the same cast with one another. Well, we didn't have the opportunity to have casts, right? Where you're meeting new people and working with new people. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, why don't we just make those conversations happen, right? And it did kind of very much become like, I would like to know your blueprint as a human. (laughs) And it starts with like, you know, how did you get into theater? So, you know, we are kind of diving right into theatrics per se, but it's cool to hear and see, like, for example, my interview with Corey, Corey Tasmania, that was such an awesome interview because I know Corey grew up in New York And she's now living in Toronto and doing so many things from like intimacy direction to acting, voice acting, etc. 
but I love to hear that like both her parents were in the arts too. And then, mm-hmm. or I, I believe, no, definitely like her dad was and her mom, she like, she just, where she came from basically as a person in her trajectory is what I'm getting at here. And, you know, and being an artist too, like your every single day of your life as a human can kind of influence or inspire your work as an actor. That's just kind of how the craft work. The craft encourages you to explore different facets of humanity, of self and of those around you. And I love that that's kind of what our artist interviews do. And yeah, and then you learn things about people that you thought you knew quite a lot about, mm-hmm. and you explore areas of someone's life through like a tangent on a question that you didn't think would come up to. So yeah, yeah, I could go on and on talking about interviews. I will say again, it's like one of my favorite veins of what we've done <laughs> with the company. And I look yeah. forward to interviewing more folks. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan take us yeah. out. Yeah, so I think... Thinking back as I was meditating on this question before we started recording, the very first interview we did, which I hosted, was with Max Ackerman and Josh Sidlovsky when they had just started their their new company, Dandelion Theater. Yeah. And they had just done like a few Zoom kind of workshoppy things. They had other productions coming up in the works. And we were still, you know, Mark One Cup of Hemlock at this point, intending to be a new indie company in the community. And I thought, I looked at these two guys, you know, Max, who I also knew, like from, we did the Paprika Festival together many moons ago, and Jill, you went to school with both of them. Mm-hmm. But like, I was looking at this new company that they were starting, I'm like, this sounds like it could be very similar to Cup of Hemlock. And, you know, the lizard part of the brain instantly looks at that and says, <laughs> oh no, competition, bad. But then after a shush lizard brain, it just took a breath <laughs> and thought, well, this is our community. We are making shows, they're making shows. You know, we're starting from similar places with similar types of personnel. We shouldn't be enemies. We're doing the same thing. We're and there's, all in this yeah, no room for competition here. These are not enemies. They're colleagues. So, yeah. so I really, I wanted them to be the first interview on the docket to kind of, you know, not that we needed to make peace with them because there was no actual feud, <laughs> but to kind of show that like we are in this together. We're supporting each other. We're all in this strange pandemic trying to make something new and not really knowing how to go about it. And I thought that was like a lovely kickoff point to how we started this whole interview initiative as something that because it, it came out like after episode five of the first set of Stratford reviews. I think we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it Love's Labor's Lost was either right before or after that interview. But yeah, so and I kind of I've been approaching a lot of these interviews from that same place. Now that we're not actually a theater company ourselves anymore, we don't have to have the lizard brain reaction of gasp competition. (laughs) But but I do kind of still think of like, these are colleagues, we're theater people, they're theater people, let's get in a room together and just talk about the craft. And like, you know, ML Rio interview, which I shouted out already as one of my favorite episodes. That was another one that like I had in my head of like, mm-hmm. you know, when will I get an opportunity to talk to this person? But I have a talk show now, something I didn't have a few years earlier when I read the book for the first time. Yeah. But I was just like, well, now I actually have an excuse if I wanted to just reach out to this person and talk about which editions of Shakespeare she likes referencing when she's writing her <laughs> novel about Shakespeare. So like, uh, yeah, just like things like that, that I would have never had the opportunity before people you wouldn't meet, like part of our mandate has the from all over the map mm-hmm. attached to it. And that is a big part of uh, what the pandemic has done that I don't think we would have thought to do naturally of bring people from all over anybody from any place or country, as long as they have an internet connection can be on this mm-hmm. show and talk to us. And something else that I also thought about while thinking about this question was how most podcasts, and I know we're going to talk about the mechanics of podcasting in another question very soon, 
but most theater podcasts are interview based. It's kind of mm-hmm. rare to have review podcasts, which was the kind of new thing we were starting at first. But like, you know, the very big one in our community, Stage Worthy, is pretty much all interviews. Tits and Teeth also, which Jill, you mentioned earlier, is for the most part mm-hmm. very interview based. Arthversations, which our new friend and colleague Bree Clark does, is also it's interview based because the podcast format is kind of very conducive to just come on my show and I'll talk about you and we'll talk to each other. It's great. And when we started doing that, we kind of took the review premise that we'd already started and said, okay, but this can also be a review thing. And I think these two facets of the company complement each other very well. Absolutely. And I I think there's no greater evidence of that than the one that's all very recent to go episodes we just did. I think, well, we did our fringe roundup where we talked about the show Wanda. Jill and I both saw it. We reviewed it. Mm -hmm. And then the next episode we released after that was me interviewing some of the crew from Wanda to Mm -hmm. take this conversation that was started in the sadly short form format of the fringe roundup and say, okay, but let's go deeper. Let's talk to you. Let's actually see what else there is to say about this because reviews are reception and uh, interviews refer to production. It's actually looking at the Mm -hmm. people behind the work and we can only get so far from one or the other, but having the two together and the rare occasion where we're actually able to engage with both on the same piece or with the same artists. I think that like just fireworks magic. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Love that. Well, Ryan, you alluded to our next question already, which is, what would you say are the benefits of the YouTube and podcast as media for discourse about theater? Ryan, okay. you already alluded to this. Let's let you kick this one off. Okay. Well, first of all, you know, there's a joke like R.I.P. Bob Saget. Weird way to start the answer to this. But like <laughs> Bob Saget, I don't know if any of you know this, had a podcast in the last few years of his life. I um, did not know this. Yeah. Yeah. The old Danny Tanner himself. And the Bob Saget podcast, I think it was called, where like a, where he would basically just, yeah, get on a Zoom call. Again, it was pandemic time with some of his like actor and comedian friends and just talk about like, I didn't watch a lot of or listen to because of the podcast. I didn't listen to a lot of episodes of it, but I like I he had like Jason Alexander on one. And it was just like, OK, two people from shows Jason I Alexander. watched in the 90s talking in a podcast like that. <laughs> but I bring up Bob Saget specifically because in. I don't know if this was a thing in every episode because I didn't like tune into a lot of them, but in certainly the episodes that I did tune into of this podcast in the intro, he said, you know, yes, I have a podcast because literally everyone on earth has a podcast. Maybe even you listening to this have a podcast. Statistically, you probably do. And I listened to this like, I I do have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Bob Saget. Um, I feel seen. So why do I bring this up? Because, well, yes. It is pretty ubiquitous now that anybody who has any ideas or thoughts or opinions about anything, which is literally everyone, either does have a podcast or maybe has aspirations to make a podcast, or at least in theory could make a podcast about whatever it is they're interested in. And, you know, I hinted at earlier how we don't necessarily have the biggest audience for this, but the audience we do have seems quite into it as modest and small as they are. Mm-hmm. And this is actually something, there's a really interesting podcast I was listening to not too long ago. It's actually by someone located in Toronto. Her name is Olivia Trono. And her podcast, she's a yeah, recent master's graduate at Toronto Metropolitan University. And her podcast is titled My Master's Thesis, But It's a Podcast About Podcasts. And this is what she did for her TMU master's thesis in like I believe, media and communication studies. Instead of writing a thesis like, you know, every grad student before her has done, she did her thesis in the form of a podcast and in a media Mm -hmm. studies program. Like, that's an interesting idea. And it was specifically. I think it's great. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would encourage a you know, shout out to this podcast that you know people check out and listen to. I thought it was really interesting. And something I remember her saying in that, or I don't remember if she said it or one of the guests she had on it, because that was also part of how do you do a thesis as a podcast? Well, you do it in the form of podcasts, which means having guests on other podcasters to talk about mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And something that it was either her or one of her guests mentioned, or maybe some of the other literature that she cited. It's been a while now. I don't specifically remember the details. But they talked about how Something unique about podcasts is that because there's so many of them and they're very like granular niche on very specific topics, pretty much everyone in the world can find one that is exactly what they want to listen to. Mm-hmm. That is just like, this feels like it was made just for me because right. who else is having these thoughts or talking about this? Yet there's so many of them, you're bound to find one that is exactly yeah. what you want. Like, it's not like, you know, old media formats where just like, yep, these are all the books that come out this year. These are all the newspapers that you can have access to. What This is what's on TV. And maybe you're into it. Maybe you're not. But there's just such a breadth of things out there that, you know, it doesn't matter that most podcasts don't have big audiences like ours. But the audiences that do gravitate towards it feels like this was made just for me. Yeah. And so, like, the kind of work we're doing, servicing this local theater community, and not not just talking about local works, but talking about works all over, I think we are cultivating something that really, I hope, certain people do tune into and be like, wow, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And, you know, if we talk about media specificity, like, it's interesting. It took us a while to, I think, even start conceptualizing the show as a podcast, because first we were doing it just on YouTube, and then eventually... Eventually, we kind of remastered the old episodes as just Mm -hmm. audio and put them on Anchor and then started releasing the new episodes accordingly on Anchor when they come out, the YouTube versions. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's sort of like a ontological question of what constitutes a podcast. Does it have to be audio only on one of these specific platforms that makes it a podcast? Because like all along, I sort of was thinking about even the versions on YouTube even the versions that are still on YouTube, I think of as podcasts because I'm pretty sure nobody's staring at our faces for two hours. Not I doing hope anything. they are. We have like, faces. Like maybe they are. Well, you, 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 you two do. But, uh, oh, I Ryan. Think, oh, it's self-deprecating. Um, you very much do. Oh, that's nice of you to say. But no, I, I feel like it would be weird if someone just sits at their computer and watches this for hours on end. For the most part, you put it on in the background. You're doing something else. You're either cooking or writing something and you just listen to it and that's how most people or maybe now that we're on those other podcast platforms you listen to it during your commute so regardless Mm -hmm. of you know whether or not we are on youtube or on the other stuff i always felt like we were podcast like now but we also have interesting visuals we talk about our cups which is something that maybe gets lost in our ensembles and you know ever (laughs) since we've been doing new live shows we've started putting up fun visuals for the spoilers that are completely Mm -hmm. lost to the podcast audience so there's like interesting ways that we sort of straddle two media here. But at the end of the day, I think both YouTube and podcasts are very good and they are algorithm based at targeting the audience that mm-hmm. does want to see them just based on other things you watch and listen to. And I think a lot of our audience probably comes from that type of possibly insidious, depending on how you look at the algorithm, curation. Mm-hmm. I've talked a lot for a while, so someone else can pick up here. Jill? 
I think, again, this is a common thread, y'all. We're all spewing out, talk about spew, spewing out the correct answer and then just piggybacking and adding a little bit more. So to add frosting Mm -hmm. onto Ryan's already beautifully made cake on this answer. Yeah, I think podcasts, you hit the nail on the head there, Ryan, of there, there is a podcast for every single human out there. Because I think I've always had this thing with podcasts too, as someone who I always had so many thoughts on so many things, not just the arts, but just... In general, I feel like my brain is always turning and I gravitate to podcasts when like I either need to turn my brain off and just have someone fill my brain with other facts or I'll be listening and I'll be like, oh my goodness, I have that exact same thought or like that person is saying what I said. So I think two podcasts just in general are a way of human thoughts that are would have no other sort of cavern to fit into rather than just staying in your brain and like Mm -hmm. and then just specifically thinking about our podcast in general like all of the dramaturgical deep dives and going further and bringing up a certain color that was noticed on this costume it's like that's a fleeting thought that you would have going to see a show and you might share it with like your partner or someone but you also might not but allowing there to be a medium Mm -hmm. a platform that is that mm-hmm. its survival is just dependent on conversation and thought puking basically that's mm-hmm. what a podcast is yeah i think it's i think it's wonderful for specifically this type of conversation where and again with art being so unique and different and ever, ever no person is going to have the same exact thought about of any piece of art ever that's what makes art wonderful beautiful unique to each person right you're not going to carbon copy, like go out of seeing a show and carbon copy, say the exact same words at the exact same time, but the exact same moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I just kind of, I love, yeah, like podcast platforms and then YouTube basically for the most part acting like a podcast with Mm -hmm. featured video, if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's just kind of like a messy playground of spew what you want to spew literally what I'm doing right now, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes unscripted, sometimes scripted, sometimes weaving back and forth between mm-hmm. both. And like, isn't that live performance? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's very meta. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think it's, mm-hmm. and breaking away, we've had to kind of break away from the rigidness, the tradition of what is theater, what is film, when the past couple of years, those have come together and merged and married in some instances. Theaters become film, films kind of become our theater. And so, yeah, I think this platform makes a whole hoop of sense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop, yeah, stop podcast spewing <laughs> okay. and send it to you, uh, Mac. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this question harking me back to something we talked about in our musical roundtable that we did, which was, why is it that musicals are more universally known and attracting general audiences compared to plays? And I think what we are doing is helping to bridge that gap where audiences know Hamilton because they all can go buy the album. Now, in the world, there are people, I mean, Stratford has their own feed, and I guarantee there are many people who have watched their production of King Lear starring Comb Fior. But there was never really, until we came along, because I couldn't really find anything before us, that did a review slash textual deep dive into the piece. So the fact that we're able to harness that uniqueness and then 
bridge the gap and slowly but surely start to give particularly plays because we don't we haven't really talked about musicals we've done a few but i haven't really highlighted them like say on my other podcast that i do mm-hmm. but like we've started to work to bridge the gap and make these particular productions and things that are accessible because a lot of our pieces can be seen whether through Broadway hd national theater stratford mm-hmm. trying to think of some of the other ones we streamed on there's a few different other ones anyway so the fact that like these productions are available to watch so it's not like they're not accessible it's just people really don't know about them or haven't really sought them out in the same way as they would a album from lin-manuel miranda you know so the fact mm-hmm. that what we are doing is we are giving a voice to art that maybe sometimes doesn't get as much connection just because seeing a play as I think Jill or whoever was doing the roundtable talked about when we did this question is a musical you can take anywhere with you on the road. Seeing Calm Fior in King Lear is very specific to you have to sit down on your couch or lie in your bed or on your laptop and watch that production to, in order to understand what we're talking about. But we've been able to elevate that to, hey, you can take us on the road with you. And Joe, as you mentioned with Katie in your rehearsal, Mm -hmm. she goes, I may not be able to see Anne Juliet, but hey, I can still feel like I've been at least in the room where it happens. Exactly. Hashtag Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll actually do a review of Hamilton Pro Shot at some point. Episode 200. <laughs> setting the goal now everybody can we talk about like what's it mean to talk about hamilton so many years after that it's true <laughs> yes so i mean there we go we've set it out that's the flag we're gonna get to so but yeah i think is what's unique about our work with our youtube channel and our podcast is that we give the opportunity for some pieces that may not have been able to gain wider recognition because they're not as knownly accessible to audiences because mm-hmm. nobody really talks about them. Like, it wasn't until, I mean, I knew about the pro shots of Stratford because I heard about them and I went and saw them. But my parents and some of my other family and friends who have watched our work go, I didn't know I could go watch that. Great. It's only like five bucks a month for Stratfest at home. Yeah, sign me up. There's a lot of good content. National theater. Who doesn't want to go watch Helen Mirren do a play or Helen McCrory or Make Helen do a one man show? Exactly. <laughs> that may be coming up there we go so there you go so that's something there where it's like hey these pieces exist so let's give them a voice and that's something i think we've done with our particular unique brand of work is that we've been able to start slowly but surely building the bridge to fill the gap for pieces that don't get as much recognition and love as they should because yeah you know i mean i just watched the latest tony awards the plays got talked about but back 30 years ago they actually performed scenes from those plays at the Tony mm-hmm. Awards. Now it's a now it's a passing mention of and this year this play is we know it and this play tells the story of Bob and his and dealing with his family after the mother's death. And here is a short trailer for it. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, used to be that you would get someone like James Earl Jones to come out and perform a scene from Fences at the Tony Awards, you know? Yeah. People would talk about it. But now that's kind of lost. So because it's like, hey, we got to get to the next musical performance. Love the musicals. Don't get me wrong. I have a whole podcast about them. But I think what we are doing is helping to, as I said, but so we build the bridge to fill the gap mm-hmm. on some of these artistic works that maybe won't be as not well known yet. So, you know, there we go. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's just round it everybody with our final question of the night, which is what's next for Cut the Hemlock? What would you like to see us do in the next hundred episodes? Ryan's already laid out the, the flag of Hamilton Pro Shot be Review. Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> so, I always say that kind of in jest, but like, honestly, 
no if rhymes we do, out there now. We're doing no, it. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not backpedaling by any means. I'm just saying, like, yeah. If we do make it to 200 episodes, if we've laid out all of our thoughts here, I don't think they're going to change majorly in that time. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do another roundtable like this. So, so why not? There has like. I don't know, when, when the Hamilton film version pro shot came out on Disney Plus originally, people, you know, I think there was some talk amongst us like, ooh, should we do it? It's a big thing that would probably generate some views. But at the time we were, I think we were still, were we still in the Stratford stuff or even like just after the we Stratford? We were after Stratford stuff, but, we, but, but as Ryan said, the field has been inundated with yeah. Hamilton reviews. Mm-hmm. Do we have something new to contribute to that? And if we don't, let's let it. Let's let it lie for a bit and we'll come back to it. Yeah, so I think by the time we eventually get to 200 episodes, maybe enough has simmered that we can kind of look back on it with fresh eyes and mm-hmm. and that'll be the time to but it also yeah because that is the premier production of Hamilton with its original Broadway cast like you know do we mm-hmm. really have you know new hot takes to say about Philippa Sue as Eliza or like <laughs> it's not like when we were do- at the time if we were do- still doing our Shakespeare stuff it's like okay I've seen Lear many times but how is Calm Fiore's Lear mm-hmm. like uh, you know although I will say I'm in oh I, you know, don't put me in a cage, but I still have yet to see the pro shot Hamilton. Yeah, so too, Joe. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, none, none of the three of us. Have okay, watched some it, people so. would be like, "Oh my gosh!" You no, like, no. no, we. I think we have all I've three of us. I've been building the theater community. Um, all no, three but, of us but have I've seen, seen a production it. of it. I've though. seen yeah. exactly. So that's yeah. something to add too, right? I have not like you seen say, it oh, you haven't, right? Because you have your lukewarm on it, so that'll be an interesting. Well, spoiler alert, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that I don't know. We all saw you, Ryan. You and I saw different yeah. iterations too, and mm-hmm. I had an understudy as as Alexander Hamilton, who was. Freaking fantastic, Blaine Krause. Shout out, but yeah. Anyways, that's a that's a yes, that's hand. project way we'll down the road. We'll get to that on the actual hand. We got we got another ninety nine episodes before we talk yes. about this. But Ryan, what other things do you see on our horizon that you'd like yeah. us like? Yeah, no, I don't want to. Yeah, I certainly don't want to dwell on like the you know self constructive criticism mm-hmm. here. But I've already kind of gotten into some of the stuff about like oh how will we maybe approach the roundup next year that doesn't play into some of the issues that I maybe took with how we've been how we handled the history that weren't even really issues they were just like this is how we're approaching it and it was an experiment the roundup but i kind of feel like it did in a way undercut what's so great about how we usually approach the work so thinking through things like that i do want to make sure that even though the new live performances as i said have been very much the three of us reviewing them i do want to make sure we keep inviting people not just in the interviews but also into the reviews and to into our network to make sure that we get to hear many voices that aren't just the three of us. Cause I think that's a big part of what we do and what makes us special. Mm-hmm. But aside from those kinds of like, you know, fairly easy to correct things. Like I think I, I am very happy with what we've been doing. I want to keep doing the type of work. Like we mm-hmm. wrote that new mandate a year ago and I feel pretty much the same way about it now a year later than I did then. And I'm, I just like to keep doing what we're doing for as long as we're able to, and maybe we'll be get able to get more efficient maybe we'll bring some more money in that'll actually allow this process to be facilitated in ways that will ease some of the burden of labor maybe we'll expand the team if that's possible to be determined but at the end of the day i think we've built something really special here and i just want to keep doing it for as long as we can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. love that love that jill yes i am very much looking forward to as you know things are opening and experiences and opportunities in my life as an actor are blossoming and will continue to blossom. I am 
back in the craft of meeting new people and being in new cities and doing new shows. So a perfect example of this is I just spent the last couple of weeks when we're recording this in Calgary, doing Calgary Fringe. And I met Katie McMillan and Andrea Page, who are Calgary-based artists who went to school or came to Toronto, went to school at Randolph or did some stuff in Toronto and now we're in Calgary and doing the thing. And so I look forward to maybe interviewing them, getting Katie McMillan on on the docket. I know she's going to be in Jimmy Buffett Marguerite musical, like I said, Theatre Calgary is doing, directed by Julie Tomeno, music director Chris Sugiuchi, who I've been in Rocky, Heart House's Rocky Horror with. So like circles are starting to orb and like meet and blend together again. And I look forward to like from a personal artist point of view too, is meeting these people and hearing their stories and seeing their pathways and bringing them on the show to augment that. Mm -hmm. So just, and that's something that will never stop. Right. So it's like, and not only because not only was I in Calgary doing Calgary fringe meeting Calgary artists, but also at Calgary Fringe, I met a whole slew of artists that have been doing the entire Canadian Fringe circuit and are going on to Edmonton Fringe and Nanaimo Fringe and Vancouver Fringe, but they're originally Brooklyn artists or they're originally artists from Victoria. So it's just like, I feel like the tendrils of community are growing and growing and growing and growing. And I'm getting super jazzed and excited talking about this because again, I think something that this medium this digitized forum has encouraged and opened our eyes to is that theater community can break down borders and barriers. Then you can keep in conversation with all of these artists, regardless of where you are in the world. And so I look forward to, I just, there was the time when we kind of were trying to figure this out and figure, you know, what can we be doing or what should we be doing? And it's like, oh, our pool of people that we know is, is small or pool of people that we could tap right now is could, you know, I could tap this person or this person or whatever. But now it's like, there's a whole pool of folks that I want to get on the show and I want to interview. And we mentioned Brianna Clark, like, Brianna, if you're listening or watching, I'm going to interview you. We're going to have a discussion. There's lists now, right, of of people and that'll never stop. So the community is ever growing. And I'm so grateful to that and jazzed for that. And so I just, and I get what I'm saying now will fit perfectly into the interview vein of the cup, but also these artists would could be panelists too, and should be panelists. Right. And we've seen that happen as well too, where it's like you, there's no one spot for you in the cup. Right. And so, yeah, so I, I look forward to just continuing to grow our community and really hopefully lay, continue to lay down some roots in what we've just chatted about of how we are a different way of discussing art. We Theater enthusiasm is the name of the game, whether we are reviewing you as the artist or we are reviewing an artist's piece. I will say just as a generic thing of humans, kindness is key, right? And I think that's just an overall, you know, we talk about, oh, there's been healthy debates on the show and there's been opinions had or what have you, but We always, our rooms are always safe spaces. And yeah, I just, I look forward to continuing to see our colleagues and cup participants thrive and achieve alongside all of the stuff that we're doing as well, right? I'm going on a tangent like I always do. (laughs) Finish it up. Take it away. All right. 
I mean, for me, <laughs> what I would like to see in the next 100 episodes is the return of some of our other programming that's kind of been on a bit of a hiatus, the roundtable discussions. We do have mm-hmm. a list of topics that we do want to do. Yeah. So it's one of those things that we just got to get back to it and buckle down and get it organized, you know? So that's something we definitely would love to see come back. I'd love to see us develop our Proudly Present series a bit more of our stage readings and maybe add on a after show discussion. Like uh, if we do the reading, but then there is a after show cast discussion about the text where we get more of that our artist dialogue in there. I mean, this can become a pitch session that everybody's getting privy to. Um, get in the comments if you like the these curtain. ideas. Exactly, behind the curtain there. But yeah, I do think there are some of the some programs that we've done in the past that we put on hiatus because we were focusing on other things, but I think we can get back to some of our other pieces mm-hmm. and reevaluate them and go, hey, this worked when we did it originally. What can we do to bring it back? But hey, get it to m- evolve into reflecting more of our new mandate. Like yep. our podcast series. I also think there are some new shows that we slowly but surely started talking about that we will be potentially looking into producing. Something that may take us into the into a more cinematic realm, shall we say, of theater there. So we stay tuned. just review the MCU from now on. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. I mean, I would love to see a Shakespeare MCU. I mean, that does exist. It's called Kill Shakespeare. It's a really great yeah. graphic novel series. Highly recommend Yeah, it. there's also the Star Wars one that were yes. the Shakespeareanized Star Wars books. Yes. Yeah. So we can just review those from now on. That's what we do. Um, <laughs> the Cup of Hemlock Book no. Club, where we only read uh, plays. I mean, we did have that. It's called it's called Play Book Club. <laughs> yeah, but we don't record those. That's the difference. No, yes, we recorded it once for Merchant of Venice, and I think that, that was enough. That was enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there we go. So yeah, I do think so. I definitely want to see us reevaluate some of our older mid programming that we put on hiatus and see how we can bring it back because I do think mm-hmm. we had some really good concepts there over the pandemic. That now that we're all back to living our lives out of our condos and apartments that now it's like hey now we got to kind of you know we don't have eight hours every day to kind of be developing pieces it's kind of we got to be more judicial in how we do them so i do think we we got we'll definitely be getting back some of that classic content that you haven't seen in a hot minute but we'll be yeah. upping it for a new evolutionary process like a pokemon mm-hmm. if i could comment on the round tables in particular because mm-hmm. yeah we had a question about reviews we had a question about interviews why isn't there a question about roundtables on here? Well, the problem is we've only done two of them. And like our panels, our review panels are sort of very much formatted like roundtables just on a specific mm-hmm. show. And and what distinguishes the roundtable format as we defined it is that it's more about us interrogating a topic than a specific show. Mm-hmm. The, the interviews are for an artist's work. The reviews are for a specific production. Mm-hmm. And the roundtables are for let's get deep into the philosophical nitty gritty of a topic. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I think we haven't done one in a while or why we have a big growing list of topics that we never seem to get around to produce is because with those we tend to really want to emphasize people with certain degrees of expertise on the topic and those tend to be scheduling nightmares as we fail to peek behind the curtain Uh, (laughs) if you because with the reviews like we talked about the standby format that if someone says at the last minute sorry i can't do it no worries one of us will step up and be on because that's just you know we're getting four people into a room to talk about a show but when we kind of do the roundtable format we really do want to make sure these are four or five people we have yeah yeah Yeah. six people we have to schedule who are very important to bring on because they are some kind of authority on the subject or they have a unique yeah. perspective that we really want to mm-hmm. hear from and to then lose one of them at the last minute it's like ah do we reschedule this to try to accommodate them because we really want their perspective on it but then we have to yeah. accommodate everyone else too so as much as we would like to do them and i agree i would like to see more of them in the future too we do have a growing list of topics you know curb your enthusiasm on that one because 
it might be it might take a while before we get one on board. Once again, we are evolving the programming. Who knows? Maybe we'll come back to roundtables with a new way of programming them. But that's going to be the joy of the next hundred episodes yeah. is taking some of our classic content and you know. Just like how there's like a soft reboot of a show every once in a blue moon. I mean, Riverdale does that every season. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> the amount uh, of like outskirt media ploppins that are in this episode. Yeah. There's also like it's podcast made an appearance. Of yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So, so yeah, I definitely think we'll be, I definitely say stay tuned for the next hundred because we got some new projects coming. We got some remastered or evolved older projects coming back that we're going to be reevaluating and you know try try trying to see if they can come back and if not then we try it one more time and then it's like okay we tried we gave it our best shot everybody sorry we're moving on to the next thing i will say also to the like the we are proud to present the or yeah cup of hemlock not the play we are proud to present yeah i know no yeah the cup the cup of hemlock proudly presents and the coh shorts Mm -hmm. like yeah well those have certainly been on a bit of a hiatus since we did renegotiate our priorities away mm-hmm. from we are a theater company that also does a podcast too. We are a podcast that maybe occasionally does these sort of Zoom mm-hmm. reading plays things. I will say there will be a Christmas short this year. Yes. We've done it for the yes. past two years. The resident Jew been. of the company has directed both of the past <laughs> ones. I, I will make it my mission to make sure that every year, as long as we are doing this thing, there will be a Christmas short every season. <laughs> <laughs> you are Searching our dramaturgical Santa Claus, Ryan. Yes, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Show, exactly. show, show. Exactly. show. There we go. All right, everybody. And that is it for episode 100. Two hours later, we have officially Ooh. come through. Now we want to hear from you. So leave us a comment. Let us know what you want us to do in the next 100 episodes. Do you want to see some live Instagram uh stuff you want to see us engage more on social media do you want us to do another type of show that you'd be itching for us to do who knows let us do you have requests of specific productions to cover the artists you want us to really interview i mean some artists we would love to get on but they're really busy but if you got a certain artist you would love to hear us chat with we would happily take that onto our list of people to do so there we go all right where can people find and follow you Yes, people can find and follow me at uh, Jillian.Robinson96 on Instagram. Uh, you can keep up with uh, my, yeah, my my artist adventure, which is mm-hmm. goes alongside Cup of Hemlock stuff. So keep your eyes peeled there for stuff down the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ryan, give us that classic Ryan Barakovich send up we've come to know over the last yeah, 100, 100 episodes. 100 episodes. <laughs> um, I'm not active on social media. I know I made my one-time exception during the roundup, but yeah, you don't need to follow me. I'm not very active or interested in being all that active on social media. On the one that I use, that's Facebook. I just basically post these episodes when they're new, so you might as well just follow Cup of Hemlock. That's COH Theater on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On YouTube, like, share, subscribe. Do the podcast things. If you're listening to this as a podcast, you know the drill. This ain't your first rodeo. <laughs> but yes, if this is your first rodeo and you tuned into Ooh. this 100th episode welcome. celebration, welcome. Um, you've heard what we do. Tune into some old episodes and actually, like, yeah, we, just, we just shouted out some recommendations that we really like. Tune into those or others that maybe seem interesting to you. Mm-hmm. Now's your mm-hmm. chance. Getting yes. on the ground yep. floor 100 episodes <laughs> in. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You can find follow me at Mackenzie Horner on social media platforms. 
You can check out my other podcast before the WD Musical Podcast, where I talk all about musicals. We are currently on hiatus, looking like now till November or maybe early next year at this point. Who knows? We'll see. But either way, we are currently on hiatus, but there, are, there is four seasons worth of content for you to catch up on. And each episode is also almost two hours or longer. So there's definitely lots of time to fill, a lot of hours to fill in there. So check it on out. Until then, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and we will see you all in episode 101. Thanks. Cheers, awesome humans.